Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Prison Officers Association, the UK's largest professional union for prison, correctional and secure psychiatric workers with over 30,000 members. In this episode, we look at the challenges faced by female prison officers and how the union is supporting women members and pressing for improvements in their terms and conditions. Four of the union's leading women representatives give us their views. Work on gender equality is part of what is known as EDI, Equality, Diversity and Inclusivity. To start off this episode, Deputy General Secretary Joe Simpson and Assistant General Secretary Angela Montgomery set out why EDI work is so important for all members, irrespective of gender, race, disability or sexual orientation. EDI's essential for the simple reason was such a a multicultural society and so many people uh, in what I would call different communities and they're on the outside. I feel they're on the outside and they shouldn't be. They should be inclusive of everything that we do both in society and both in the workplace. And why is it important for unions? Because workers need a voice no matter who they are, whether they're black, whether they're disabled, whether they belong to LGBT, whether they're old, everybody needs a voice in the workplace. And the only people who can do that is unions. And it's very important for unions to understand that no matter how small, for want of a better word, that minority is. And for me, it's always been important all the way through my work in life that that voice needs to be heard. And I think unions in the past have not been very good at it. They tend to look after the people who shout the loudest. So then you you see people like black workers, LGBT workers, old workers start to drift away from the union because they're not speaking for them. So what's the POA's approach to making sure that that problem is avoided, is, is ironed out just just is not a feature of the way the, the union operates? I think it's education. It's getting that message out. And since I joined, I mean, I joined the, the PWA in 1987 and I joined the prison service in 1987 as well. And I've seen the makeup of the workforce change so much. And, and as a union, we haven't been at the forefront of ADI. And one of the things that I decided to do when I became a national official and then a full-time officer with Steve Gillen, our general secretary, was to change the way the union operates. And that's what we're doing now. People listening to this might think, well, look, it's no big deal. You know, it's entirely possible for, say, a man to represent a, a woman or a woman to represent a man. Why is it so important? to have people with the lived experience speaking for their own communities? Diversity and inclusion is important at all levels of the union. And in that context, it's important that our members get the best representation that we can provide. And that calls for our activists or local committee members to represent the members within their prison or special hospital I think the difficulty is as a woman I don't know what the experience 
of being a man in the workplaces and vice versa. So that lived experience enables you as a rep to tailor the service better to the needs of a diverse group of people. And it is about empathising with the member, being best able to represent them, raising concerns with management, going through formal processes, both within the employer organisation, but also by taking legal action. The POA is very clear that discrimination and harassment will not be tolerated by members and our members who experience that will be supported to the fullest level to achieve justice for themselves and their families. Thank you, Joe and Angela. Now, to discuss everything from planned moves, false advertising over flexible working, the importance of boundaries at work, the menopause, returning to work after maternity leave, to why screws on TV is nothing like real life, Assistant General Secretary Angela Montgomery is joined by NEC members Sarah Rigby and Jackie Marshall and Chair of the POA branch at Oakwood Prison, Kirstine Brown. Perhaps I could start by introducing listeners to those of you who are in the room and we've got a really high quality room for this podcast so Jackie could I start with you perhaps yes I'm Jackie Marshall I'm a member of the POA National Executive Committee and I'm responsible for the eastern area and Sarah hi yeah I'm Sarah Rigby I'm on the POA NEC alongside Jackie and my home base is Lancaster Farms Prison and Angela I'm Angela POA AGS um, with responsibility for equality. And last but by no means least at all, Kirsty. A prison officer at HMP Oakwood and branch chair for POA there also. Well, thank you. If we can start with you, Kirsty, particularly, how long have you been active in the POA? And was there a particular incident or person that made you want to become active? I've been in the POA since I started at Oakwood, and that's been for about three and a half years. So I've been branch chair for about 12 months now. And I think it's just about helping staff with difficulties they have. Some staff, I feel that they need, they, you know, they would need more help to get along in the situations that they face in, in the prison, especially the female staff. I was, I was going to ask, I mean, you know, what is the reality of, of being a female prison officer, especially the kind of things that your male counterparts might not realise. I mean, it's not all like screw, is it? It's a, a very different kettle of fish. I think a female officer would need to be, if I can put it that way, a little bit tougher than the male counterpart, because obviously the environment that you're in, you can find yourself in some situations that you would need to be able to have something about yourself being a female officer. And obviously... You know, there are other issues within the prison that, you, that female officers face. And, and that are perhaps not immediately visible to your male counterparts? No. So, you know, you you face comments uh, daily from prisoners. It's just about how you handle that. Uh, but your male counterparts, they don't face those same comments that a female officer may face. Sarah, what, what would be your view? I think, I, you know, I agree with what's been said already. I think you definitely have more to prove being a female prison officer. You're yeah. very conscious that you want the respect of your male colleagues. 
Mm. I think you have to be very firm with your boundaries with obviously it's mainly male prison population that we have and you're just conscious that you don't ever want to be accused of anything that you're not doing which is why you have to be very clear with your boundaries. Moving from a female to a male prison can be quite a transition as Jackie now describes. I started with females as a young officer I was only in my early 20s and went to a female prison then transferred to a male prison. The relationship with prisoners is completely different in, in the female establishments and I was very conscious of, of what I was saying to male prisoners I, I I felt like I had to think about everything that I said to them so that I didn't sort of cross a line you know it's different things that you'd say to female prisoners than you would to male prisoners yeah I would agree with that is, is there any particular training that helps female officers become that, that aware or is it something you have to pick up you learn from colleagues you've almost got an instinct for it I think it's something that you learn, but I think you have to learn it fast. You have to be, you have to have that that front. You have to have those boundaries, just exactly like the other ladies were saying. Yeah, I would say you have to learn it. You have to have something about you as well in order to, as as they were saying, boundaries to not over to not be to be careful what you say, to not overstep the mark. Yeah, very much so, and that's on a daily basis, obviously. I bet. I bet. How important do you feel the role played by local branch committees is in supporting women members? I mean, obviously, Kirsten, as a, as a senior branch officer, you'll have a particular view on this. The branch is going to be the key local network, isn't it? For, yes, for women it officers. yes, it is. Yes, it is. And obviously, we're there for all the female members that we have in terms of just advising them and just guiding them along the way because we have a lot of young female staff who maybe need to learn the boundaries, you know, just like we all have, we have to learn the boundaries that we have to give out. Sarah? Yeah, I think as well, unfortunately, we don't have as many female representatives as we would like at a local level in the prisons. Yeah. And I think certainly some of the young female staff will struggle to approach male branch officials, potentially with some situations. So for me, I think we really need to try and expand the female network from a, a local level. I mean, we're actually sort of doing quite well on the NEC for females at the moment, but but we definitely need more in these local roles in the prisons. Yeah, well, about 40% of the union's members are are, are women, but I'm pretty sure not 40% of all branch officers or branch committee members are, are, are women. Um, no, nowhere near, nowhere near. But, Even things like our training course, you know, you have to be away from home for a week. That just isn't always practical for female staff. Angela, what's the, what's the view kind of from head office about how to try and balance things up, how to make training courses, for example, more accessible, how to get better gender balance in terms of branch committees and branch officers? As the POA, we want to increase the number of female activists who are branch officials. It is difficult. I wouldn't underestimate the the challenge that poses. And I would say my experience is we need to engage with the current committees to go out and recruit and support women into those roles because in a sense they need to be representative of the membership they have I think that's difficult as well because some branches don't see the need for that I think that that's one issue but I also think women because of the other caring responsibilities that many of them have not all it's difficult to balance it and Sarah's right you know five days away from home if you have children to care for 
if you have elderly parents to care for is is a difficult ask actually so it's about looking at that I also think it's a little bit about encouragement so you know one of the things that they say as to why people trade union members is well I was never asked to be a trade union member so it is about asking and I suppose it's about empowering branches to ask the women members you know we're coming up for re-election we would really like to have female representation going out to those women who work in the prison and asking them because that's the way that you'll get change because you need to increase the representation at that level. I, I suppose the POA is not the only union to face these challenges. It's not the only union on this kind of journey, if you like. And I guess the TUC's Women's Conference, which has happened just, just recently, is a good opportunity to, to kind of link up with women activists in other unions and to share stories of success and to, to perhaps learn some new, new things to put into practice here. Kirsten, how, how was it going to that conference as a delegate? Had you been before? What did you expect? Did you, did you find other delegates had similar areas of concern to, to those of your own? It was the first time I'd gone. And I, to be honest with you, I didn't really know what to expect. But it was absolutely fantastic. It really was. It was good to hear other women and the, the similar issues that they have, um, how they handle it. And it was really very interesting and really informative to know that it's, you know, you're not on your own, uh, that there is support out there for you. It's, it was really good, really good. So something to, something you'd recommend to, to other, particularly female branch officers or branch committee members? Absolutely, absolutely. The POA's delegation to the TUC Women's Conference also included Jackie, Sarah and Angela. Jackie shared her experiences of this year's event and how it differed from previous years. I've been for many years and it was different because it was online and you find that you can mix obviously more when you're there in person. It was just unfortunate that this year was online. Saying that it was better online than not having one at all because we didn't have one last year. We managed to get the year before because it was the beginning of March, um, just before lockdown. But mixing with other people and, and talking socially and Formally, you do learn a lot about other people's issues and you realise that a lot of people have got the same issues as we've got. We are a bit unique in the role that we do. So a lot of things that are pertinent to us are not pertinent to others. But it was a really good conference. And it was online. It was the first time they'd done it. I think it was a good success. Do you think the future it looks a bit like a kind of blend of doing things in person and doing things online? And the part of the value of doing it that way is, of course, if you do things online, you're not away from home and therefore there's a better chance of balancing all the different parts of your life. Yeah, I think there will be. But I think conferences should be done. Conferences, you should be there in person so that you can mix with others, other unions, because although the conference, you know, it was very good online, you couldn't actually talk to anybody else other than people that were our colleagues, like Sarah, there was Sarah and I and Karen up in Leeds one day. and We could obviously talk to each other, but then. You can't talk to the other unions. And when you've got motions and you'd be looking for a second for your motion, normally at the women's conference, you can you can go and find somebody and ask them to second your motion. That wasn't the case with the position that we were in. And I must admit, I never even give it a thought about somebody seconding the motions. Yeah, your whole your whole perception of, of how things work changes when it's all done online. So what are the, the key issues for the POA's women members at present? What's on the what's on the negotiating agenda? Well, the fitness test and the menopause, 
uh, menopause is a real big issue at the moment th throughout uh, all the establishments. And obviously we've got the fitness test where, although it'd be low numbers, all those that have failed three times on a fitness test and have either been dismissed or regraded are all women. Uh, we had a situation not so long ago that um, in one establishment there was 23 that had failed the first attempt at the fitness test and 21 of those were women. Gosh. And you, and you have to think, when this fitness test came in, retirement age was 60. Well, now it's not, it's up to 68. So they're expecting 60-odd-year-old women to do the same fitness test as an 18-year-old lad. And it's it's just going to be really difficult. We asked for concessions for, for women going through the menopause for the fitness test. And at first, he said they would put it back by two weeks. Well, that would be lovely if the menopause lasted two weeks. So at the moment, it's back six months. And even that would be lovely if the menopause only lasted six six months. When you know studies see that it's around seven and a half years from start to finish that a lot of women suffer. You talk about the fitness test. Uh, where I am, it's the issues for the women there are like the things like the planned moves, where they're only asking the men to do the planned moves. So it seems to be like a pattern, really. If you if you look at it like that, you know, if these all these women are failing the tests, and then they're only kind of like a habit, they're just asking the, the the men instead of the women to do the planned moves. I was just going to say, Sarah, Sarah moved the motion as well at the women's conference. Sarah? Uh, yeah, another big issue for me, and as Jackie's just said, we did a motion on this as well for Women's Conference, is in relation to flexible working applications. So uh, obviously women go off and have their baby. They have quite a lengthy period of maternity leave, sometimes up to 12 months. I think returning to work in itself after that, when you've been in a completely different situation, environment, I think just the return to work after that period is often really underestimated where you've got male governors, probably female governors as well, to be honest, and they expect the person just to return to work on a, a late shift or an A shift or whatever it is, straight back onto the wing, crack on, like they've never been away. And, and I've seen so many, some, some very close friends of mine, actually, really, really traumatised by that, where they come back to work, they've not managed to sort out a flexible working pattern, they've just been messed about, passed from pillar to post, They've not managed to book any places at nursery because they have to give advance notice of every Wednesday for the next 12 months or whatever it might be. And the whole the whole experience of returning to work is just marred by this this anxiety, really. And from, from the, the fact that they can't get a flexible working pattern agreed that's going to work for, for, the, for the home life. And that's also going to, going to enable them to fulfill what's required of them at work. And I mean, you can't you can't work in that environment when you've got anxieties about who's going to be looking after your child on Wednesday going around. And I, I've seen some some really poorly mismanaged situations. I've seen, again, another good friend of mine who basically was forced into a non-operational role on the back of this because they, they just couldn't come to any agreement of how she could be at work and look after her two young children under three. Just really, really poor, really poor. So what, what's the role particularly then of the NEC and of full-time officers in, in trying to move this agenda forward? As, as we've just heard, there are clear priority issues, all built around the fact that the employer seems not to be listening or not to understand or not to want to understand the position that female employees are in, you know, and then is kind of surprised when things don't go, don't go well. But the NEC and full-time officers have a particular responsibility or ability to to try and move these things forward and what's what's the level of activity what's the nature of the activity there 
bizarrely, the prison service advertised flexible working from from the day that you join the job. That's one of their that's one of their big kind of things that they put on the, all the application forms and all the leaflets and all the advertisements. Oh, we can offer you flexible working. So these staff come into it, the job expecting to be able to arrange it fairly easily. But actually, the realistic the realistic view is totally different. So right from the top, they say, yeah, we can do flexible working, but then somehow the message is completely lost when it gets down to sort of governor level and it's just not the case. It's false advertising, really. All of us individually support women in their applications for working with different measures of success. And it does depend on how far the individual woman prison officer wants to go. And I think it's really, really difficult because it does happen in other industries as well. But women at their most vulnerable as they're going back to work are faced with a whole series of barriers to obtain flexible working. And in the current recruitment crisis that we've got, it's just so short-sighted because many of those women have years of career ahead of them and a lot of them just quit. You know, I would say, you're right, Sarah, they just quit, don't they? They just think it's too difficult. People, you know, I've got two young children. My life has changed and my employer's not helping me. I will move to an employer who will. And you can't blame them for that, can you really? But it's the prison services loss and it's our members loss because they should be enabled to remain in the job that many of them love despite the fact that they have caring responsibilities. I mean, I've had cases where women are looking after elderly parents and, again, they've asked for flexible working and it's the employer is just really reluctant to do that. And I struggle to see why, really. Those women who stick it out, we normally do get it for them, but it's just a struggle that they shouldn't have to face when they're caring for children or vulnerable adults. I mean, that's just not right. On the back of that, Angela, I'm, I've got to say, at our place, they do they do accommodate, you know, flexible working. So I don't know whether we're lucky or it's a one-off. I suppose, or... I suppose what I would say is that G4S corporately support flexible working. You know, there's, there's no two ways about that. I do think the private sector are more willing to do it than the public sector. And I think that's about a different stance, really, which is that as long as staff turn up and they do a good job, they're not fussed whether they're men, women or anything else, actually. And I kind of think there's a different mindset because it seems to be much more difficult in the public sector to obtain that. And in other industries, it's the other way around. You know, in the public sector, it's really easy to get equality for women. But in the private sector, it's really difficult. So I'm a bit bemused by that, really. I don't understand why that would be. Sorry, Jackie, go on. Uh, my friend's daughter is applying to join the prison service and she tells me she's going to do three 12-hour shifts. And no matter how much I tell her, that isn't the case. She'll be working five days a week because she's got an 18-month-old baby to look after. She doesn't believe me because the job is advertised, as Sarah says, with work-life balance. And it is false advertising because you can't get anything. would rather lose experienced staff 
rather than give them uh, part-time working or flexible working because some are being pushed into a situation where they've got no option but to leave because of looking after the children. So if if we have women members who are listening to this who are not in a G4S jail but are in, are in an HMPS prison and feel that they have not been treated fairly in terms of the hours that are advertised, the working patterns that are advertised and the working patterns that are actually working, what would your advice be to them? My advice would be to seek some support from the local committee. And if they were still struggling, ultimately they have to go through the process. They have to make the application. They have to make sure they get a response. They have to then go through the appeal process. And if they're just not getting anywhere with it, ultimately you can ask for some legal advice because quite often, unfortunately, prisons don't follow what's required of them by employment law. And, you know, some staff will be in a ridiculous scenario where they've asked for work-life balance, they've put an application in and they just don't get an answer. And several weeks later, they still don't know whether it's a yes or a no, or it's just kind of left hanging. It's almost as if a manager somewhere has taken it, thought, no, and just pushed it in a drawer and thought, maybe she'll go away. Sorry, I was just going to say, quite often when they do get a response, all it says on is it doesn't suit the business needs. Or what's that supposed to mean? You have to push it. You literally have to push it at every stage, which which I think it was Angela that said it's just exhausting. It becomes too much. But but that's what you have to do. You just have to keep pushing it. But the value of POA membership, surely, is is that if you get into that position, you're not pushing on your own. You've got the the union putting its shoulders to the wheel as well. Absolutely. What's interesting about that is, is, uh, you know, in in the public sector, if a woman is returning back to work uh, after having a child and she has that anxiety, did they allow her to go into the establishment with that anxiety? Because I would have thought that that's quite an issue to be in that environment and have the anxiety. I think that would very much vary from manager to manager and prison to prison, to be honest with you. I know at the establishment I work at, sometimes they do allow a period of a week or two just to kind of ease people back in. But I also know for a fact there'll be female members out there that say, I got nothing. It shouldn't be a lottery, should it? There should be a standard kind of floor of, of, of terms and conditions below which no one falls. You know, private and public, they advertise flexible working. And in some places, that's really straightforward. It does depend on your manager. I agree with you, Kirsten. You know, if you've got a supportive manager, then that is more likely to happen than not. But I've got, there's a case I've had recently where the initial response was, you're not going to have flexible working. But eventually, and legal advice was sought, um, it was agreed that the woman could work three set shift patterns every week in order to accommodate her caring for her elderly parents. But it was a struggle. And it shouldn't have to be. I think many other women members would have quit. They would just would not have sat it out. And that is an issue. And you're right. It, it causes anxiety for those women in the prison as to what would happen if their child became sick or all of those other things. And I just think it can be better because some prisons and governors and directors do it and others don't seem able to do it. So it's a bit of a lottery almost, isn't it? So if if we invited Dominic Raab as a Secretary of State at the Ministry of Justice to to uh, 
to join us on, on this call. And you have the ability to demand one thing, one thing of him as the cabinet minister responsible for this area of work, whether it's private prisons or, or state-run prisons. What would it be? Would it be wrong to say to share his wine? <laughs> if, if, if that's the most important thing to you, Jackie. I think for me it would be pay, and I know that's not exclusive to female members, but I think the level of pay now in the prison service has fallen to a point where staff are more likely to walk away from the prison service because they can find that rate of pay at many, many, many other jobs. When I first joined the prison service, I pretty much doubled my annual salary going from a supermarket to the prison service. I wasn't going to walk away from that. That you know, that was a significant increase in my wage. Now, with the starting salary, staff could walk away and walk into a supermarket job for pretty much the same amount of money. And that's where the prison service has, has just, over the years, absolutely eroded the level of pay. You know, we fall way below other emergency services as well. There's more options now for staff to walk away, and they are walking away. I suppose I would add to that that those supermarkets will give those women flexible working without a second thought. So they'll get the same money with the flexibility that they need. So really, they, you're right, they need to increase pay. Mine, the Dominic Raab, would be to make flexible working a right rather than the discretion that the employer has to give all staff, you know, not just female staff, all staff who have those caring responsibilities, the right to flexible work. No, no, on the on the back of what Angela said, the right to flexible working. You know, there's a lot of women in the prison service. And I think it, that that would be beneficial to them and obviously the prison service as well. Because Angela says people will walk away. Sarah said people will walk away and they need staff in the prisons. They do need staff. Jackie, why the part? I'd agree with Sarah really about the pay because I think it's a knock-on effect. Because most prisons now are short staff and that's one of the problems with people asking for flexible working. If the pay was right and you're retaining them staff, they would stand more chance of getting the flexible working. Okay, and fi- fi- final question, if I if I may, and, and that is, if one of the union's women members is listening to this, and I know many, many will be, and they're not active at the moment, how and why should they get more involved? Well, they can abro- approach the branch committee because the rules allow a committee to co-opt somebody on. And one of my establishments is just co-opting a female on but for that very reason, because there's no females. And that might be one way of them to sort of looking in and seeing what they actually do on the committee. And then from that, they would look for a vacancy to arise arise, and then, you know, put themselves forward. Part of the journey, presumably, is that more ex- experienced members of the branch committee will be there to support them and advise them, almost act as a mentor what, as they're finding their feet. Yeah. And it's interesting. You learn so much um, and, and you know what your rights are, which makes a huge difference. And you can then impact on other female members as well and show them the level of support and you can educate them. The POA branch at Oakwood, is, it has got only three women on it at the moment. All strong characters. We see the new, the new ones coming through. We see them once a fortnight. We've started seeing them once a fortnight now. And it is to encourage them. It is to offer them that additional support. 
and hopefully from that it would you know they'll they'll become good officers and they'll stay and I think that's important I think when you're going into the prison service to know that there's some kind of support there for you helps I think it does it's when you feel alone that that's where you're more tendent you've got more tendency to walk away I mean people often talk about the the POA as a family I hear that that said quite a lot and that sounds like a a good familial characteristic I think you have to be if you're going to be uh, within the branch because you're there to support your members you're there to advise your members you're there to give them all the encouragement that they you know they may need I think it's really important right and uh, Angela final final kind of thoughts with you we so we've we've got we've got we've got members who are listening to this who are thinking yeah I want to get involved in that I can see the value of that. I can see the importance of that. And I've got a few ideas about how it would work. And they're now, they're now thinking, where do I find my branch committee? Where do I find my branch, my, my branch chair? Angela, what should they do if there are members in that position right now? Contact their branch and express an interest. But I suppose I would also like to say to any men that are listening who are local branch officials, that they should reach out to those women members because Yes, we would love women to come forward and feel empowered enough to come forward. But I also think men have a part to play in this. And I think the local branch committees, if they don't have a woman on their committee or there are vacancies, they need to go out and reach out to those women and ask them whether they're interested to give them the information and to support them. Because in many ways, that will have been done for them. And I know some some of our members may say, well, why should it be different to women? And I'm not saying it should be on one level, but on another on another level, most branch committees recruit their members by initially reaching out. Historically, they've chosen to reach out to fellow men as opposed to the women who are within the membership. My thanks to Jackie, Sarah, Kirstine and Angela. The message is clear. The union is working hard to make sure it is truly inclusive for all members and potential members, irrespective of gender, race, disability or sexual orientation. It is also taking steps to make POA representatives and local committees more reflective of the makeup of the union's membership and in future episodes, we will be focusing on the work being done in respect of the other equality strands. The union is only as strong as its members, and the more members the union has, and the more diverse and inclusive the membership is, the louder and stronger the union's voice. So, if you're listening to this and you haven't signed up, speak to your local POA rep, or head over to poauk.org.uk to find out how to join and all the information you need about the union and the work it does on EDI and everything else. Thank you for listening. We hope you like what you've heard and will join us for the next episode of the POA podcast. Thanks and goodbye. (laughs) 